0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life, or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, today we start a new series, Amazing Grace, and today's title is, My Chains Are Gone. I'm wearing these to represent that all of us come into this life in chains. And you might be thinking... Really? I didn't have chains on me when I came in. I wasn't wearing handcuffs when I was born. But all of us have been bound by sin. And that's just what has happened ever since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and turned against God. And so you may not really think of yourself as being a prisoner. But all of us have experienced that sense of not being in control and somebody else ruling over us. And it isn't a good thing. Until it is, and, and I know that you expect me to be all excited because today's Easter, and I am all excited, and I have some good news, actually fantastic news, some, uh, I guess it's the greatest news in all the world, but I can't tell you that until I remind you that this Jesus that we're going to talk about today, who is the Son of the Living God, who came into the earth as a baby, and who grew up to be a perfect man, who lived the life that we couldn't live as Pastor Brad prayed about, and who spoke with uh, an authority like no one before or since. This Jesus who healed sick people, cast demons out of people, even raised dead people. This Jesus who was arrested, who was condemned, beaten beyond recognition and crucified, dying the death we should have died. I'm going to tell you about him, but before I can do that... And before I can tell you that He rose from the dead, I want to remind us, this is the condition that we are in, and that's why He came. Because we're prisoners, we have chains, but because of His amazing grace, and that's what we're going to talk about today, these chains can be gone. I'd like to tell you about a woman named Mary who lived in the time of Jesus, and we don't know a lot about Mary. All we know for sure is that she came from a town called Magdala. In, uh, in Galilee, in northern Israel, it was an agricultural and fishing and trading center. And uh, Mary lived there, she grew up there, and Mary met Jesus. And some people think that Mary was the woman that uh, anointed Jesus' feet with oil and uh, perfume, I guess it was, and that washed his uh, feet with her hair, but, but there's no gospel evidence that that's who Mary was. And some people think Mary was the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but there's no evidence of that. The only evidence we have about Mary, for sure, is that she was demon-possessed. And she didn't have one demon. Seven demons inhabited her life and made it a living hell until Jesus came along. And Jesus cast the demons out and set her free. We read in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first. To Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And then in Luke's gospel, we read this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them, Out of their own means. So this Mary had been freed, her chains were gone. And in our day, some of us don't believe anymore that there are such things as demons. And and a lot of biblical scholars, what they think is it was really epilepsy or mental illness, not evil. But Jesus said it was evil. And the gospel uh, writers tell us that Jesus cast demons out of many people. And the other New Testament writers affirm this warfare, uh, a spiritual war between the forces of good, the forces of God, and the forces of evil. And Mary was delivered from that. She was set free. And for the last time this weekend, Pastor Brad's going to come and set me free right now. Because these are real handcuffs. They're state police issued. First time I've ever had state police issued handcuffs on me. Except for last night and the other four services. But they don't, they're not comfortable, and the more you squeeze your hands, the more they get, the tighter they get. But just like that, Mary was set free. And so we're told that she used her own resources, and so did these other women. They traveled with Jesus, and out of their own income, they provided for food and and, and the other supplies that the ministry needed, so that Jesus and the disciples could travel freely throughout Israel. And Jesus had an entourage. It was the twelve disciples, but also these women and others followed along, and they followed him right up until the moment that he was arrested. And when he was arrested, it must have been a big shock to the the eleven disciples and these women that Judas was leading the the group of soldiers that came to arrest Jesus, and they took him away in chains. And Jesus had told them this was going to happen, and he had told them that when he was arrested and taken away, just like, a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd, they would all scatter, and they did. And we don't know where Mary and the women went that night, but we do know where they were the next morning. They showed up at the crucifixion. In fact, it tells us this in John 19.25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his, sis- his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Every single list... In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that share about Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection has the name Mary Magdalene in the list of the women who were part of it. And Mary was standing there and she looked up and she saw this man, Jesus, who she thought was the Messiah, the one that was going to deliver Israel. And she already believed he was the Messiah because he had set her free. From the the bondage to this evil, the evil spirits that inhabited her. But as she watched Jesus die, as he said, it is finished. And as he looked up to heaven and said, into your hands I commit my spirit and died, I believe something inside of Mary died too. Her hope, she became a hopeless person in that moment. and we are told again that as Jesus was taken down from the cross and carried to the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, that Mary followed along. We know this because it says in Mark 1547 Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. She followed along. Why? Jesus was dead. This Messiah couldn't be the Messiah anymore, but she followed along because I believe there's one main reason she did. She still loved him. She still knew that he was the person, the first person, who had ever seen her for who she was. Not some crazy woman, not some possessed woman, but someone who was a child, a daughter of the living God, a daughter of Abraham, they would have said in those days. And Jesus had seen that and he had freed her so she could experience that. And so even though he was dead and it was all over, Mary still sat outside the tomb. And again, we don't know for sure what she did for the next couple of days, but we know what happened on Easter morning. And because we live on the resurrection side of Easter, we can't pretend that we don't know what happened that morning. We can't pretend that we don't know that Jesus rose from the dead conquering sin and death. But Mary didn't know it that morning. Nobody did except for the angels. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to look in John's Gospel and see what happened that first Easter morning. Before we do that, I need to tell you that in the Bible there are four Gospels. I mentioned them already. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them has an account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But they're different. The details are a little different in each of the four Gospels. And so some people say, these are fake because they're not all the same. I say, because they're not all the same, they're real. In my life, whenever somebody comes up with a story that's exactly the same as somebody else's story, that's when it's fake. When I was growing up, for example, I had a little brother named Ken... And we would do some things that we weren't supposed to do pretty much every day. And when we would do something that was really something we shouldn't have done, like break a lamp in the house, we would sit down and we'd say, here's what happened. Fritz, that was our dog. He was a little miniature dachshund. Fritz came by and knocked the lamp over. And so mom would come in and say, what happened? And we'd say, I'd say, Fritz did it. He walked by and he must have knocked it over with his tail. And Ken would go, yeah, he must have knocked it over with his tail. And we would get paddled. And have to clean up the lamp because she knew we were lying because we were telling the same story, exactly the same, detail for detail. But in the four gospels, here's what we find out. In all four gospels, when they go to the tomb on Easter morning, and it's always women, it's either Mary by herself or Mary and the other women, they go to the tomb, the tomb is already open, the, the, the tomb has the stone has been rolled away, and it's empty. In every case, the tomb is empty. Now, sometimes when they look in, there's one angel, and sometimes it's two. But the angels have the same message. Jesus isn't here. He's alive. And so what we can agree about for sure is that on Easter morning, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was alive. And nothing's ever been the same since that moment. Amen? And so here's what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1, reads this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Okay, so Mary goes to the tomb and it's open and it's empty. She had looked in, it's empty, and she assumes what everybody would assume. Somebody must have taken the body because dead people don't come back to life that just doesn't happen and and so she went to Peter and John and said the tomb is empty we don't know where his body is and we could say well wait didn't Jesus tell them he was gonna rise from the dead sure he did in fact he said it several times he kept telling them over and over I'm gonna be arrested turned over to evil men I'm gonna be crucified but don't worry cuz I'm coming back to life and on this side of the resurrection that makes perfect sense but what if you had been with Mary on that first Easter morning would it have made sense That when the tomb was empty, oh, that's it, Jesus is back to to life. No. She just assumed he was gone. Somebody had taken his body. And then this is what happens next. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. (coughs) They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So. Peter and John hear the news that the the body's missing, the tomb is open, and so they run to the tomb. But John is a lot younger than Peter. We know this because John lived into the 90s A.D., so he was probably a teenager when he became a disciple of Jesus. And Peter was older, so being younger, John gets there first. But being younger, maybe he was a little scared. You know, I mean, how many people want to go into a dark tomb when it's just getting to be morning? And so he looks in, but he, he doesn't go in. He doesn't go in. And so, then it says, Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For until that moment, they still hadn't understood the Scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. So, Peter went in first. He looks around, he sees the head cloth here and the rest of the cloth that was on Jesus' body over here. And he assumes, I don't know what happened here. I don't know what's going on. John goes in, sees exactly the same thing. The evidence is exactly the same. The head cloth is here. The the rest of the cloth is here. And John looks and he goes, Jesus is alive. He believed. Now, how, how could it be? That Peter and John saw exactly the same thing, but they didn't believe the same thing. Peter and John had the same evidence, but Peter didn't think Jesus was alive, and John did. Well, that's exactly what happens to us. Sometimes we see evidence and we draw a conclusion that may or may not be right. And the scripture has something very, very important to say it says, Until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. The key word I emphasize is must. You see, Jesus must rise from the dead. Otherwise, we're still dead in our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nobody rises from the dead. And if nobody rises from the dead, we're still sinners. We're still in chains. We're still bound by sin and death. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And John believed it, but Peter didn't. And the thing I love, I love a lot of things about this book, but one of the things I love is that these people in this book, Peter, John, for example, today, their images aren't airbrushed. You know what I mean? The flaws and blemishes aren't taken away. Peter saw the same thing as John. John believed, Peter didn't. He would believe later, but he didn't believe in that instant. And if you're in the room today and you don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead... If you're like Peter, that you've heard the evidence, but it hasn't compelled you to believe, then listen what happens next. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. So Mary apparently followed Peter and John back to the tomb. When they went home... Mary looks in and she sees something nobody had seen to this point. There are angels in there, two angels. And the angels look out at her and they say, dear woman, why are you crying? Now, I don't know, angels probably don't know everything because they're not God, they're just angels. But they probably assumed what they knew, everybody knew, that Jesus was alive. I mean, they knew it. They were there when Jesus came back to life. And so they must have assumed that Mary knew, but so they're asking, why, why are you crying? And Mary answers. She says, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. Mary says, they have taken away my Lord. Now, Jesus is dead. I mean, he's alive, but she thinks he's still dead, Right. And she's calling him Lord. Isn't that a little pathetic, don't you think? That a woman thinks this guy is dead, and yet she's saying, Lord. Why is she still calling him Lord? Because she wanted to believe that he might still be alive. Or maybe she just didn't want to let go. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had somebody you loved who died? And, and you just don't want to let go, you know? I mean, you, you, you take the coat that they wore and you smell it and you can smell them and, and it just reminds you of them. And Mary was thinking the very same thing here, that, that she just wanted a little bit longer to be with Jesus. And, and she wanted to know where he was. But it, this is something, a little point. After she says that, it says she turned to leave... So she only said one sentence to the angels. I haven't ever seen an angel. I don't know if you have. If I ever get to see an angel, I think I'll say more than one sentence to him, right? Aren't you going to say like, hey, what's it like in heaven? Aren't you going to say, hey, do you know my uncle, you know, my, my, my dad? Do you know, have you seen him up there? Hey, what's it like living up there with Jesus? I would have a whole bunch of questions, but Mary didn't care. All she knew was Jesus was gone. And so she turns away and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. And I say this is good news. Because I hope that when you come to heaven, and I'll probably get there first for most of you are a lot younger than me, right? You're not gonna recognize me. I'm gonna have dark hair, big muscles, slim belly, you know? I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be awesome looking. Well, that's what I think. I don't know if it's true or not, but I don't think you're going to recognize me because after we rise from the dead, we don't look like we do now. Jesus didn't look like he looked. In fact, everybody that saw Jesus for the first time after he rose from the dead didn't recognize him at first, and then they did. But he's standing there, and he says the same thing to Mary that the angels had said. He says, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Now that one strikes a little too close to home for me because I think a lot of times in my life, I think Jesus is somebody else. You know, I pray to Jesus. I I ask him to help me out and, and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the answer comes and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's just me. And Jesus is trying to talk to me, but I don't get it. And sometimes I think I'm so busy, I don't even hear Jesus talking. And other times, I'm busy doing ministry, you know, things for, for God. And I'm doing stuff for Jesus, and he's like tapping me on the shoulder going, Hey, Chris, and I'm going, I'm too busy. Can you come back later? It ever happened to you? But it happened to Mary. She thinks that Jesus is dead. She doesn't think he's alive. He's looking her eye to eye. She doesn't recognize it. Then Jesus has to sort of break this, uh, you know, this standoff, if you will. And I'm thinking, Jesus could have started just scolding Mary. Didn't I tell you I was coming back to life? Why do you think, not? Why do you think I'm the gardener? He, she, he could have gone on and on and on, but he didn't. In fact, all Jesus did was said one word Mary. Mary. And in that instant, Mary recognized. Jesus, you're alive. I mean, can you picture, I, I can't even picture, but could you picture being there? She thought it was the gardener. All of a sudden, Jesus says, Mary. And Mary, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. He's alive. Just And then she probably remembers, oh yeah, he told us he was going to rise from the dead. And then she remembers, oh, I remember before I met him and now he's here again. And all this stuff is going through her mind and everything is wonderful. And Jesus and Mary are looking at each other. And Mary only says one thing too, one word. Rabboni, which is the Hebrew word for teacher. It's a term of endearment. I'm sure that Mary called Jesus Rabboni many times. And then Mary just hugs Jesus. And the reason we know that that's what she did is because it says so. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus says, don't hug me, don't cling to me. And I've been jokingly saying, well, maybe Jesus isn't a hugger, you know, but I think he probably is a hugger. But I think that Jesus was pointing something out. What he was pointing out is, I'm here. You can't hug a hallucination. You know, there are people that think that Jesus never rose from the dead, that all these disciples and Mary and everybody saw a hallucination. Did you ever try to hug a hallucination? He wasn't a ghost. You can't hug a ghost can't hug a ghost he was he was there she was hugging him she she didn't probably ever want to let go but Jesus said you got to let go I have something for you to do you need to go back and find my brothers and you need to tell them that I'm going to go back to my father and your father to my God and your God now could you picture the difference between the first time that Mary went back to see Peter and John when she thought Jesus was dead and somebody took his body and now she's going back and she's going to say, Hey, I've seen Jesus. Could you picture as she's running back and she, she must have just been going, He's alive, He's alive. She probably looked down at the stones and said, Hey, He's alive. If there was somebody along the way, she probably stopped and said, Hey, Jesus is alive. And then she goes back and does what she's told. It says it right here. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. I have seen the Lord. And here's the take home point. And if you come regularly, you know, we only have one point we seek to make every week. And I've been building up to it this entire time. And here's the take home point. When we recognize the risen Jesus, nothing is ever the same. When we recognize the risen Jesus in our lives, nothing's ever the same again. Mary's life could never be the same after that. I bet you she never hung out at the tomb anymore because she knew Jesus was alive. Mary, for the rest of her life, even after Jesus went back to heaven, Mary would go around and she must have told everybody, I used to be a demoniac, I used to be possessed by demons, and now Jesus came into my life, he freed me, and they tried to kill him, and he died, but he's alive, he came back to life again. And you see, that's what Easter is all about. Because Jesus was dead. Stone cold dead. And he came back to life. And when you know that, and when I know that, it changes everything forever. Because for the rest of our lives, no matter what happens, we know that there's a future for us. A future with Jesus forever. But even in this life, there's a future for us that's so radically different than the world is telling us. The world says there's no meaning or there's no purpose. The world says that when you die, you're dead and that's it. The world's wrong. And this series is called Amazing Grace because we're going to talk about Jesus' amazing grace for five weeks. I mean, we talk about it all the time here, but we're going to focus on his amazing grace these five weeks. What is grace? Simply put, grace is getting what we don't deserve. We deserve chains. We deserve punishment. We deserve for our sins to condemn us to a place Jesus called hell. But instead, we get freedom. We get our chains released. We get a new life. We get freedom. And ultimately, we get to go to heaven forever. That's what grace is. Grace is when we receive God's unmerited favor, his love, his His goodness, his mercy and compassion, all at the same time because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Many of us know that already. That's why we're here. But there may be somebody in the room, still like Peter, the first time he went into that tomb and looked around and saw all the evidence and said, I don't know what that means. You maybe never have said to Jesus, I believe you exist, I believe you are the Son of God, I believe you're my Lord, which means owner, and I'm going to trust that you can free me from these chains that I've experienced in my life. If you never did, let's look at this prayer, we're going to put it up on the screen, it says, Jesus, I admit I have not experienced your freedom in my life. I have not even acknowledged my need for it. Today I confess you are alive. You are my Lord and my God. Come into my life and set me free from the sin that has bound me. Fill me with your spirit that I may start to live the life that is truly life and know your freedom now and forever. This I pray in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. And I want to point out a few things. It says there we haven't experienced freedom. That means we're in chains. We haven't acknowledged we need freedom because sometimes we haven't really actually believed that we're in chains even though we are and then it says I confess confess means to agree with I agree with the reality that Jesus is alive Lord means owner as I've said God is the one who creates everything he sustains everything and through Jesus he redeemed or set us free come into my life that's the key come into my life not just some idea but a reality and by the Spirit of the Living God The power of the living God and the presence comes into us. That's what that next part says. And then, if you've never done this before, you're starting a new life. Jesus called it being born again. Start this life that's truly life and know your freedom for today and forever. And how powerful is Jesus' name? It's powerful enough to raise dead things to life again. If you've never done that, I'm going to ask you, if you want to, again, if you want to, to say this prayer with me. And, I, and those of you who have already trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, w- let's pray that prayer outside, out loud um, because it won't hurt us to say it again. Let's, let's do that. Jesus, I admit I have not experienced your freedom in my life. I have not even acknowledged my need for it. Today I confess you are alive. You are my Lord and my God. Come into my life and set me free from the sin that has bound me. Fill me with your spirit that I may start to live the life that is truly life and know your freedom now and forever. This I pray in Jesus' powerful name, Jesus, amen. Um, Friday morning, I went to the Good Friday breakfast at Saxonburg Memorial Church here in Saxonburg, and John Kolb was the speaker. John Kolb was a four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and he said something that, that I just couldn't get out of my mind the rest of the day. He said that a lot of people trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord in a room like this with every eye closed and every head bowed. And and, I mean, sometimes we do that here at New Life. We just say, please put your head down and close your eyes, you know. And and then he said this. And the rest of their lives, to this point, they've still got their heads down and their eyes closed. Meaning, they've never gotten awake. They've never really lived into this freedom that Jesus came to. To live and to, to die and to rise again to give us. And so if you for the very first time this morning or this afternoon now just committed your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're just waking up to that reality that you said those words before but you've never really started living them out. I want to tell you it's not easy. I have this saying, I say it all the time. The Christian life is simple but it's not easy. There's nothing simpler than believing That Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died and that he rose again. But it's not easy to live that life out in the world that denies that reality. It's not easy to live out there in the world in the reality that we're free when everything about this culture wants to chain us down. It's not easy to go out there and live in freedom When the devil is lying to us all the time. In fact, Friday night, what I preached about at the Good Friday service right here was Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Saturday morning, Nancy and I were having breakfast. And Nancy asked me, have you forgiven this certain person? She knew I hadn't. And I said, no, I haven't. And so uh, I I did. I have, I've forgiven her, and, and the thing is, it didn't make me feel any better, and that's something some of you think, if I just do what God wants me to do, I'll feel better, and I didn't feel better, but, but I do feel a difference, because unforgiveness, as I said on Friday night, unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When we hold on to unforgiveness. Jesus died on the cross to free us from the chains of unforgiveness. To, to free us from the chains of feeling like we don't matter. Because people in the world will tell us, unless we're a certain kind of person. Unless we're a certain level in our company. Unless we're a certain you know, kind of academic scholar. That we don't matter. That we're nothing. And Jesus said, here's how much you matter. And he died on the cross. For you and for me, for each and every one of us. Freedom, as Jesus defined it, is being set free from sin and death, free from lives that are in bondage, like Mary's was, free from the idea, the world's idea, and the devil's idea that we don't matter because we do. And so today's commitment is very simple. Not easy, but very simple. I will let Jesus' resurrection power free me this week. I'd like you to take 30 seconds, and I would like you to think about what is it right now in your life that's holding you in chains? Is there an idea you have about yourself that isn't really true because of Jesus' death and resurrection? Is there a person that has hurt you, and you're letting that person's hurt continue to hold you in bondage? Is there something that's going on in your life right now? A substance or something else to which you're addicted that's making you a prisoner? Are you willing to let Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, not the dead one, the resurrected Jesus change you from the inside out? Every moment, moment by moment. That's what this commitment is. That we're going to let the resurrection power of Jesus free us this week. So let's pray right now. And let's thank God for the reality of the resurrection. And let's call on the power of the Spirit so that we can live in the power of it. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to live a perfect life. A life we couldn't live. For sending Jesus to die on the cross. The death we should have died. To pay the penalty for our sin. And God, today I pray for each of us, especially for any in the room today who committed their lives to you for the very first time, to trust you, to free them. I pray that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, fill all of us with your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that we might live this life that's truly life, moment by moment, day by day, for as long as you give us here. And God, we know that because Jesus is alive, we can live also. That he set us free so we are truly free. And I pray that we would experience that freedom. That we would, affre- that we would experience your amazing grace. Here and now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.